am in control of my destiny, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and that I get to create the life that I want rather than I have to do something. I like to use that phrase, I get to, rather than I have to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making of a Diva. I am your host, Erica Sherrick, and today we have one of the most fabulous guests ever. Um, I want to introduce you to Jessica Hannigan. Is it Hannah Hannigan? Like I should Hannah. Hannah. Hannigan. Hannigan. Okay. Like in the movie Annie. Hannigan. And okay. Um, Jess is an entrepreneur. She's an intuitive healer. She's a certified travel coach, death doula, chaplain, multi-best-selling author. She creates wellness retreats focusing on trauma and bereavement around adoption, infertility, and infant loss. And the goal of her trips is to create community with others who are going through the same experiences, making a death more approachable, making death a more approachable con- uh, topic. So I thought what better person to have for making of a diva because she's quite the diva herself. I mean, we've, we go back a couple years and yes. um, we've kind of, gosh, we've, we kind of got bounce things off of each other. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. I couldn't imagine doing this with anybody else. <laughs> So first, before we get into kind of things, you just did a talk in Mexico. Yes. And tell tell everybody just like a little bit about that. Okay. Well, I am a part of a community called We Are World Schoolers, and it's about parents who travel the world with their children. And although I do not travel the world full time with my children, I do believe that the world is a great classroom for your kids. And I try to travel with my kids as much as possible. There was a Project World Schooling Family Summit in Mexico this past week. And I spoke uh, specifically on purposeful travel in regards to death and dying. So first, first, how many, um, how old are your, how old are your girls? I have two girls. Uh, Charlotte will be seven in July and Willow will be three the end of this month. I can't believe they're they're getting so big. Oh my god. I know. I know. And I am older as a mother. I am 46. So it's interesting because a lot of colleagues and friends that I have, um, most of their children are all grown up or they are grandparents. And um, but life happens in unique ways and um you know, part of what I've experienced in my past, I think, led me to my husband and I being parents at a later age. Um, which because you, talk- because you adopted. Yes, yes. So- Both of our daughters are adopted from birth, and the reason that we adopted children is because I am infertile. Um, I had to have a hysterectomy in my early twenties. And I also was pretty sick with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and endometriosis. And so because of that, I wanted to make sure that I was healthy enough to be able to take care of children because it was always something that was important to me. So that's in part why we did this later on in life. Um, so how did how did you get through a lot of that stuff? It's a really good question. I think in part um what it helped me a lot was 
knowing that I had a really good support system of friends and family, but also recognizing that I am in control of my destiny, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and that I get to create the life that I want rather than I have to do something. I like to use that phrase I get to rather than I have to. And it sort of allows me to think and remind myself that I'm in control of how I respond to things and that I have a choice in the direction that I want my life to go. I think, you know, there are things in life that happen that are out of our control and that we have, you know, no control over what necessarily may or may not happen. Um, For example, like you may not have a choice in an outcome with a particular situation, Um, but how we approach it and how we you know, have a positive attitude or a negative attitude about something can really affect that and dictate that. So I try to be as positive and optimistic as possible, even when things are dark and dreary. And, (laughs) you know, I try to not necessarily make light of situations, but I try to see the humor in things and just make the best out of the situation. And that oftentimes people who have experienced a lot of adversity have a way of seeing the positives in things in a way that others wouldn't. And so not that I enjoy having gone through a lot of traumatic events, but I do feel that I have a perspective that's more unique. And so I'm able to see the positives and things. And, um, you know, for example, something that may not phase somebody else may make a huge difference for me. So seeing the sun outside or seeing somebody smile a certain way really changes my attitude and my approach to things. So rather than focusing on, you know, we live in Montana, so it's been very dreary and snowy. So rather than focusing on all of the snow that's on the ground and how cold I am and how cloudy it is, um, I focus on, oh, we get to build a campfire outside and build a snowman. And then when the snow does, you know, dissipate, I can really enjoy being outside more. Or if it's raining all the time and we have five minutes of sunshine, I really appreciate that. And, um, I think that maybe I wouldn't be as empathetic as I am if I hadn't gone through a lot of um, traumatic events. And everybody also goes through their own version of what a tragic event is. And I think one of the things that helped me is not comparing myself to somebody else. Um, Oftentimes we do that and we think, oh, well, they have it way worse than me, or I shouldn't feel bad because I still have a roof over my head or food to eat or things like that. Um, But everybody experiences adversity and trauma differently. And so I think it's important to honor what each person is going through and recognize that to them, that may be the equivalent of, you know, something traumatic that somebody else has experienced. Um, So just trying to approach things with an open mind and with an open heart and remember that everybody 
you know, lives their own life and gets to where they are based on their past experiences. And we have the choice of how we approach it. So we can be negative Nancy about it, or we can, you know, be positive and try to make the best out of situations. So the phrase, you know, make lemonade out of lemons, I think that's it. Or um, no rain, no rainbows. Right. I'm spiritual. And so for me, I really like the um, aesthetic of a lotus flower. And if you think about a lotus flower, a lotus flower blooms like from the mud. So if there's no mud, then you don't have a beautiful lotus flower. So I like to think of those things. Oh, wow. That's I mean, that's a great. That's a great way to think about it. Do you do you think everything happens for a reason? I mean, do you believe in in karma and all that? I do. I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Even if it's, it's even if it's bad. I mean, yes, I, I, I talk to people and they're like, well, no, I don't believe in that because why? Why would, you know, bad stuff happen if it's. Right. So it is hard when you're in the moment experiencing something really negative to not pray victim. I don't know if that's the right terminology to not look at it and say, why me? Woe is me. The world is going to end. How am I going to move forward with this? So, for example, I had twin boys who were born at six months gestation. So they were a pound and a half each when they were born and they lived for two hours. And I had a really difficult time when I, when that was happening, like that this happens for a reason, right? What good could come out of any parent losing their children? I didn't understand. I was questioning my existence in the world and just that it was not fair. Yeah. And I didn't understand. And I think oftentimes when you go through something like that, or let's say um, a diagnosis of an illness that maybe is incurable or terminal or you're in a, you know, loving, committed relationship with somebody and you find out something really unfair, like it doesn't make sense. And it makes you question um, your higher power or your belief in anything And when you're going through it, it's really hard to be objective about it and to understand. Because I've had enough traumatic experiences that have happened, I can't necessarily see in the moment that this was happening for a reason, but I try to know that at some point in my life, I will understand why that happened. And it's not necessarily that, you know, something better will come along. So people had said to me when I lost Ben and Jack, um, essentially they would say things like they're better off dead right? Like their quality of life would have been terrible or they weren't meant to be your children. You will end up getting the child that's meant to be yours later on. And we do now have two amazing children that we adopted. And I do think that losing Ben and Jack led me on this path of navigating infertility and making me assess what was most important to me in life. And what was most important was to be a parent. It didn't necessarily need to be biological children. 
And it did lead me to the path of adoption. And it did lead me to having these two beautiful children. And when I say beautiful, I mean, yes, they're, you know, aesthetically cute. <laughs> um, but I just mean who they are as human beings. Yeah. Um, and so they could never replace Ben and Jack. But I can see now, now that I'm on the other side of it, that Ben and Jack were so um, loved that they made such an impact on my life in just the short amount of time that they were there, that they losing them really affected the trajectory of my life and how I view things now in the future. And in reality, although I wanted to strangle the person who said to me, they are better off dead. Right. It's not what you want to hear in the moment when you're losing your children. Um, I can see now that I'm past it. It doesn't mean that my grief, grief has gone away, but I can see that the quality of life that they would have had, it would have been miserable for them. And I think that for me, knowing that things happen for a reason, sometimes that would make somebody go crazy and think like, you know, that's not a healthy approach to have to things. But for me, I've been on the other side of it. And so I can see that things do happen for a reason. Let's say somebody is working at a job that they love, right? And they unexpectedly get laid off. And you can't think like, oh, this is happening for a reason um, without like feeling down about it. And that how am I ever going to find a job again? Well, I can guarantee you that that person will probably have a job that maybe fulfills their heart desire more than they thought. Or that, you know, they say when one door closes, another door opens. I do, I do believe in that. And I think that, you know, it doesn't mean that it won't come without hard work. We're going to have to, you know, work hard to figure out, like, what good can come out of a negative situation. Um, but if you're open-minded about it and have an open heart, I think in time you can shift your mindset a little bit to, um, you know, make the best out of every situation. And so for me, it has helped me because I think even if I have something negative in my life, uh, a negative encounter with somebody or, you know, something that doesn't sit right with me. I look at that as a learning experience and think, what can I learn from this? And then I know what not to do in the future. Or when you can look at something and say, well, now I know what I don't want, Yeah. but I'm able to know what I do want now. So I just want to go back to, to grief for a little bit um, mm -hmm. because you know, a lot of people think that, you know, there's a time limit on grief, that there is, um, that you can only grieve for certain things. And, you know, having gone through grieving processes, you know, people say it gets better with time. Um, or you shouldn't grieve over that. And, and you know, there are different things to grieve over. Everybody thinks automatically death, but there are other aspects that people grieve over, yes. you know, like talking about diagnosis of an incurable or uh, terminal illness. Mm -hmm. There's a grief process 
for yourself that that you should be allowed to go through those steps. Is that yes. okay? I think that what I've learned is everybody grieves differently and there is no timeline for grief. And somebody who says to somebody, you shouldn't feel that way. Um, I think they come from a place where they are oftentimes uneducated about the topic or judgmental because they see something in themselves, they're projecting onto the other person. Right. Maybe they are jealous or admire that somebody is able to grieve and they weren't. Yeah. And I think that with grief, when we say it will get better in time, it will change in time. It's all relative. So it may get better sometimes and it may be harder at sometimes. And the only constant in this world is change. And when you're grieving something, it doesn't necessarily shrink what happens is we grow around the grief, in my I, opinion. Yeah, because I know, you know, other things, you can grieve over the loss of a friendship, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, the loss, you know, there's basically anything that you go through in your life, um, you know, where you're sense, in sense losing something and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, the traditional death of a person that that everybody thinks of. So. Right. And remembering that. Trying to think of how to explain this, I might. I don't know how to explain it. Um, Sorry for this. That's pause. no, that's that's fine. Um, you'll think of it. Okay. I know. So all this stuff, you know, and we talked a little bit. I mean, this is what what's basically made you who you are today. I mean, yes. Every every thing, day, incident, um, the way you've reacted or not reacted, um, you know, talk a, talk a little bit about, you know, when something happened in the past with you, I mean, did you always react the way you, sh- you know, the proper way? I mean, or there's some th- things that you look back and go, oh gosh, I'm really wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> so it's hard when you're in the moment of experiencing something to know, you know, what is the right way to handle a situation. Um, What I didn't realize, and this actually goes back to the pause that I had before, is that everybody reacts to grief differently. Mm -hmm. And it may not necessarily be what happened per se that causes the grief. What happens is how our body processes it, which is the trauma. So we store trauma in our body and it may not necessarily be because of that one instance, right? Let's say somebody is in a um, situation where they get hit by somebody that they love, like an unexpected Mm -hmm. situation. It may not be necessarily like the grief that they have over the physical impact of that hit. What comes up within your body and the memories attached to that trauma and the grief are how your brain and body processed that experience 
And so you're reliving like how it made you feel in your body, if that makes yeah, no, any sense. Make sense. Yeah. Um, what was the last question that you just asked? <laughs> I just want you all to know that we're doing this over Zoom and she's wearing a pink wig. So if I bust out laughing for no apparent reason, that's why. Um, just if, if it's, if it's, see, now I'm going to have to go back because I don't know. Um, oh, you asked, have I always been this way? Yes. I mean, is there anything, is there any reaction that you had to something that you, that you wish that you had reacted differently to? Oh, okay. I'll give a great example. So when I lost Ben and Jack, I, I didn't want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I felt what was the point of living? All I ever wanted in life was to be a mom and my children passed away. And so what was the point? And I remember doing research on ways to end my life. I was not actively making a plan. I felt that if I knew that there was a way to go that would be painless, just knowing that there was a way to end my life made me feel like it was okay to live, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So I, I guess I had um, ideations about it, but I was never actively like wanting to plan Right. Um, but what happened was it came up in conversation with somebody and when we were going through the process of adopting our daughters, we had to get letters of recommendation from people. And specifically one of the questions was how did Jessica overcome adversity and how did she handle it? And this person who was somebody that was very close to me said to me, I cannot write a letter of reference for you because I don't agree with how you handled grieving the loss of Ben and Jack. Um, I was in a dark place. Yeah. I was not a kind person. I was not taking good care of myself physically, mentally. I was eating poorly. I was, you know, eating a lot of sugar, junk food, or not eating at all. I just wasn't taking care of myself because I felt like, what's the point? And... I sat with what they said and I was really angry at what they said because I said, who are you to tell me how I can or cannot grieve for my children that until you've been in my situation, it's not fair for you to speak on that topic. Right. So how, I mean, how did you get through you know, what are some of the things that, that you did to get through some of these um, rough spots? One of the things that I started to do was see a cognitive behavioral therapist who I despised. <laughs> I absolutely despised her. I don't even remember her name, but I remember crying because... She made me do things like get out of bed every day <laughs> and brush my teeth and take a shower. How rude. Rest. <laughs> I mean, this lady, what nerve did she have? And I didn't like her approach. I thought that she was not nice, that she was mean, that she was being. Am I allowed to swear on here? Yeah, absolutely. You go for it. She was being a fucking bitch. <laughs> and I was like, 
I never want to make somebody feel the way that this person made me feel. And I'm really grateful for that because it showed me what I didn't like and how I didn't want to be in life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not to say, it's not to say that cognitive behavioral therapy cannot be really effective in helping people through depression and trauma. For me, I learned that that's not what I needed. I needed somebody to hold me and tell me that it was going to be okay and to validate that how I was feeling was okay. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, eventually I will get past it. Um, But I also learned through the cognitive behavioral therapy that getting out of bed can be helpful, right? And that brushing your teeth, you know, that's important, right? Because your oral mouth health can affect your other health. And that if I wanted to have conversations with people that were in person, I should probably have fresh breath. And not and not have body odor and stuff. I and mean, not have body odor. And kind of a, I mean, I and I I can totally relate to that. I mean, um, you know, after my my cancer diagnosis, no diagnoses, right? You Which know, one? I I did go through where I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, you, you know, weeks would go by. I don't need to shower. I'm not going anywhere. I don't need to, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to get dressed. I don't, you know, I just, I don't. Um, And I I do find that even to this day, just getting out of bed right away and doing something active actually Mm -hmm. was like, makes me feel better. You know, today, I mean, we were talking earlier and, you know, I woke up, I slept late and I woke up and I realized I had a meeting in 10 minutes. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was like, I don't have time. I didn't have time to play the, I'm not going to get up. I'm just going to lay here and I don't do anything. I mean, it was like, it was a force. So, um, you know, it just, and then it got me going for the rest of the day. Right. But, you know, but I want to talk a little bit now about self-care because as women, it seems, and mothers mm-hmm. um, and wives and, and partners and, and everything, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't put ourselves first. And, and, and that's, you know, I'm just starting to learn that you really should. So what, yes. are some, what are some things that you do for self-care? I know, I mean, you've got a busy life. Yes. A lot of people are just like, I don't have time to do anything, you know, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself without, you know, people coming with me or animals or. or Yes. Yes. So talk a little bit about what you do for that. Okay. So first and foremost, recognizing that you don't have to do it all is really important. And I try to take things minute by minute because sometimes that's, all that we have. And so I try to do a lot of little things that are realistic because I, at first, would set these goals for myself. Oh, I have to go to the gym five days a week or I need to do an hour-long yoga session. Right. Well, that's not necessarily realistic. So I tried to think of what were things that I could do that would be realistic. I know that I'm always in the car and I know that oftentimes I get stuck at a red light or a stop sign. So when I'm at a red light or a stop sign, that is my reminder to take deep breaths. I'm one that notoriously will not breathe, which then in turn affects your blood flow, your oxygen, all of that. I just keep it all in really tight. Mm -hmm. And so I try to remember to breathe. Um, 
So something as simple as breathing, like, I mean, like taking time to just take deep breaths. Yes. is considered self-care. Yeah. For me, it is. Okay. Okay. For me, it is. And I've practiced with different types of breath work. And now what I do is I try to incorporate it with my children. And oftentimes, if they're upset, Mm -hmm. they will say to me, Mom, I don't need to take a deep breath right now. (laughs) Because I'll say, well, maybe we should take a deep breath. You know, another thing that I do, which is very, um, it seems weird, is I hum. If I am upset about something or I'm trying to snap out of a negative mindset, I will hum because humming changes our vibration. And I try to live in higher vibration. And so if I am really angry and I don't have time to go lock myself in the bathroom for five minutes, I will hum and that will change things. I also, oh, go ahead. Talk to me about the the vibrations. Like you said that you try to live in a high vibration. What is the difference between living in a high vibration versus a low vibration? Well, the world operates on energy and in vibration. And have you ever heard the phrase, um, when somebody special walks into a room, they light up or everybody around them lights up. They are living with a higher vibration and exuding more of a positive energy. Okay. Okay. So you can tell by looking at somebody if they're down and like, "Eh," right. Right. And then it affects those around you. But if you are smiling and have, you know, um, like a good energy around you, that affects people around you. I used to work at a call center and we would get yelled at all the time and you would get exhausted from having all of these people be rude to you. Right. And your natural inclination is to mirror that back and be that way back to them. But you can sense it and feel it. And so I try to remember, even if I'm having a difficult conversation with somebody, to smile. Mm hmm. Um, and they and people can tell like when, like, you know, when you're on the phone or when you're doing a podcast like this, you know, they can't see you, but they can they can feel that energy through audio. Yes. And I and yes. I know that I, I, you know, um, we had a big discussion about that um, when I was doing my coaching certification where they they teach you to do coaching over a phone, not face to face so that you focus more on their energy right. than their facial expressions of their body language. Yes. And um, which I found very interesting because I'm a very, like, I want to be in front of people. I want, you know, and how can you possibly do that? But right. it's totally a thing. Right. And if you think about it, uh, let's say you are watching a movie Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you turn the volume off, you can watch it. You can't really, um, besides not being able to hear it, but you can't, right, right. you know, get a feel for what it is. But if it's something scary, the music will be low and um, slower right. and maybe uh, certain instruments. Yeah. And if you are watching a happy scene or a love song, the music will be higher. Yeah. Um, and have a different tempo and 
and beat. And so I, I have these apps um, that I have on my phone, um, like the Calm app or the Aura app. They have a lot of them that have different music that I experiment listening to different music. I also have been, you know, listening a lot and playing a lot with sound bowls and different sound bowls um, have different pitches that correlate with different um, hertz. Mm -hmm. The terminology is hertz, for example. So if you listen to something with, you know, a particular hertz, it may raise your vibration or it may lower it. Um, If you look at a picture of um, your chakras, which are also energy flowing through your body, um, there's different meridians that they correlate to. And that's the same with the sound bowls, where each sound bowl has a different note on it. So you can find music that resonates well with you that maybe will lift your mood. Um, So in the background of our TV at home, like if we're, you know, cooking or doing art projects with the kids or building a puzzle, I usually have music on that is, um, you know, peaceful and calm, or I'll go to YouTube and put in, um, you know, I love Italy, right? So I'll put on pictures of the Amalfi Coast and play relaxing music. Um, Yes, because when you walk into your house, I can always tell what what the mood is, because she always has like something going on in the background, like some kind of some music. And you might not like... You might not pick up on it on first, but it's there. And it's more so, I find that it's more so um, when the girls are there. Yes, because I also am trying to, you know, keep them calm and happy. And it's also really nice for me, especially having grown up um, living closer to the ocean and being around the water, that now that I'm in Montana and I don't have that readily available to me, Mm -hmm. if I look at it, it calms me down. And so I know that I gave you a really long answer (laughs) to what I do for self-care, but um, it's it's honestly, for me, it's the little things. It's trying to drink more water. It is remembering to breathe. It is listening to relaxing music, um, surrounding myself with people that lift me up rather than, you know, pull me down. And so for me, I would rather have a smaller group of really close friends than have a bunch of friends that, you know, it's just like to have them. Right. Right. To have them. Um, and loving myself, which wasn't something that I always have done, especially because I felt that my body had failed me. All I ever wanted was to be a mother and I couldn't have children and I was angry at my body. And then I was angry that I have, you know, a heart issue. And I was angry that I had lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and that there were things that limited what I could and couldn't do. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I've had to modify my life. Um but I've done so in a way that, you know, works for me. I think I tend to have a lot of ideas and do things maybe more untraditionally than other people. And in the past, I've always compared myself to other people. And then I thought, oh, what's wrong with me that, you know, I like to do five things at a time. Um, But it is who I am and I've learned to embrace it. 
And as long as I'm living authentically myself, um, then I feel like I'm living my life in alignment, so to speak. And so um, another thing that I've done, um, which again is controversial to some people, um, but I have started learning about plant medicine and what the positive effects that plant medicine can have on your body. (laughs) And there are a lot of um, practices that go along with using plant medicine that I do incorporate, even if I'm not uh, partaking in plant medicine. And there are parts of plant medicine that you can use that are completely legal, um, non-psychoactive that anybody, you know, can use if you're over 18 right, right. and or 21, depending on where you live. Um, but using plant medicine also taught me about self-love and I noticed that I was more inclined to see the positives and things rather than the negative and, you know, appreciate the fact that I am, you know, what some people call a black sheep and that I am more unique and um, that it that's okay. And that's what makes the world go around is that right. we're all different. If we were all the same, it would be really boring. Well, that would be, oh my gosh, how boring would that be? Yeah. So what is, what is something that you want the listeners, like if you had to pick one piece of advice or um, direction, what would that be for, for, um, for our, our blooming divas out there? I would say it's about mindset and recognizing that life can be short and to live it to the fullest because tomorrow is not promised and to have acceptance You know, I say a lot of times it is what it is, Mm -hmm. but how we choose to respond to that is instrumental and really having the um, mindset that we get to do things in life rather than have to and how lucky we are really. And to know that we are in control way more than we think we are. And so, you know, why would I choose to be miserable when I could choose to have joy and be happy and look at the bright side of things? Right. Um, So really just live life to the fullest, be present, be mindful and have fun. So, my final question to you yes is what are you most proud of and why oh. <laughs> um because as you know as as we don't we spend so much time i feel in our lives picking apart what we've done wrong and right. and um getting down on ourselves and I could have done this I should have done that but we very rarely stop and think oh my gosh I am proud of myself because right you know and I, and it just seems that there needs to be more of that and that's that's to me that's part of of um really completing um you, a part of yourself. Yes. It's that, that self-love part. Right. I would say that I am proud of myself for continuing to have an open heart and an open mind 
and creating a beautiful life out of loss and tragedy. Um, I put myself out on the line a lot by being open and sharing my story and being vulnerable. But the reason I do that is so I can help other people so they don't feel so alone and that they don't have to be so scared. And so I think I'm just proud of the person that I've become. So for everyone out there, um, Jessica has a website. And Jessica, what what is your, how, how can people, if, if they want to talk to you more um, about some of the things you do, um, whether it's, you know, healing, um, your, you know, travel, uh, the death doula, because, you know, your chaplain services, or, or, you know, talking to you about adoption and fertility and, and kind of working through that. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you and get more information? Thank you. That is a great question. The best way to get a hold of me would be through my website, which is www.jessicalesley.com. And you can reach me through there. Um, I also have a phone number where I can be reached at, which would be area code 480-442-9201. And I'm going to have that in, um, in the show notes. So if, if somebody didn't get that right away, um, or you can listen to it again. I mean, yes, but yes, I'll have all the information in show notes And um, I just want to thank you so much. This has been an amazing segment of journey. Um, And and I think it's just, it's it's exactly what I I envisioned for this podcast. So. Oh, good. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love um, being able to have difficult conversations. And I think what you're doing is great. And it's hard to put yourself out there. So I applaud you for doing this. And I love you to pieces. All right. I love you to pieces. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, This is Making of a Diva with your host, Erica Sherrick. And I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you.